Gotta keep on breathing from the City of Angels in Los Angeles and normally from the Big Apple in New York City. Uh, but my co host Adrian Gruberg, who's from New York, is moving and she won't be joining us today. Always sad when Adrian can't make it. But welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And uh, we're coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, and a whole bunch more. And in fact, we're proud we voted number one podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60. And if that wasn't enough, we're also number two podcast on CaringVillage.com. So we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Paulina Milana. Sounds so exotic, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) The way you say it, yes. (laughs) Committed. Caring for yourself when madness is home. She's a storyteller at heart who built a career in writing, media, and marketing. And her roots are entangled with mental illness, having been raised by a mother diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and later having to raise her young daughter also diagnosed with the same Uh, Being a caregiver and crazy have been part of her entire being. Her first book, The S Word, a memoir about secrets, published in 2015 and helped to shed some light on the stigma and shame surrounding her mental illness uh, in her family. The sequel to that book, Committed, a memoir of madness in the family, uh, chronicles her struggles to stay sane while serving as primary caregiver to both her mom and her sister who continue to battle their mental illness. Wow, that's a tough job. Any kind of caregiving job is a tough job, and you throw that into the equation, and you've got, you've got a mess. <laughs> um, Paulina, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you. I think I'm more excited to be on. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to ask my guests just who is Paulina Milana and why was she placed on this earth? Wow, that's a great, great question. Um, Paulina Milana is still figuring out who Paulina Milana is <laughs> and still figuring out the bits and pieces of why being put on this earth. Um, I will say that so far what I have figured out is that I am the daughter of someone uh, who had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. I am the sister of someone diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. I am first generation. My parents are from Sicily. I am a, you know, lover of words. I am a storyteller. I've been a writer my entire life. And I love to tell stories of Trials to Triumph, Madness to Magic, so to speak. Um, my why I'm here on Earth, that's a great question. And part of why I have written my books, because I just couldn't believe that all of this was happening to me growing up as a young adult, not for some greater purpose. So mm. I believe my purpose is to actually help kind of change the narrative about mental illness, change the narrative about caregiving, um, change the narrative about who who we are, both good and bad, all kind of rolled up into one. Well, that's a great answer. <laughs> so tell me about a little about yourself. What's the most important thing to know about you beyond your book? Um, beyond my book, I used to weigh 365 pounds oh my God. and skinny down. 
Um, still have a bit to go. I uh, never thought. How old thought were you that, when you got to that weight of three hundred? Oh well, I you know because of my mom and all of the challenges with mental illness, her, my sister, I ballooned to maybe over two fifty when um, when I was gosh in my mid twenties. Um, it was, yeah, a part of that was also protective, um, gear, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then it just kind of continued from there. And, uh, and honestly, another thing to know about me is I never thought marriage was in the cards. I, it always concerned me because here my father and my mother loved one another. My mother was very ill. And my father really had to navigate a lot, um, not only caring for my mom, but the rest of the kids. And and he had so many options. He could have left. He could have left her, left us. He could have done a million things, and he didn't. And I thought to myself, I don't know if I have it in me to to marry someone, you know, have a partner, and actually commit to being there through thick and thin, right? Um, but... You know, for, for anyone listening who's thinking it's too late for them to actually find their imperfect, perfect mate, I didn't get married until I, one month shy of my 45th birthday. And I, the story of that is incredible. And the guy is my perfect match. Could not have asked for, oh my gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially because he fixed my audio and my video for this call today. <laughs> A perk. He doesn't struggle with mental illness, does he? No, you know what? He doesn't struggle with mental illness, um, except when maybe like dealing with me. Maybe there's a touch of it. But, um, you know, he actually, he has everyone has a... Assuming. Patience, big time patience. But he has such a great sense of humor. Humor is is something that has carried me through from the start, right? And and having that kind of perspective, that kind of looking for, you know, the, part of why I even call the company Madness to Magic is having that that moment, those pauses where you actually are looking for the magic when there's just nothing but madness around you oh. and using humor, that is key. Even uh, Robin Williams, you know, who suffered from mental illness, he sure. said... Um, you know, uh, we're all given that spark of madness. You mustn't lose it. <laughs> and honestly, right, that's, to me, the sense of humor. And he is, he's just, he's so funny. One one day I was sitting here and I was kind of like in a, in one of my moods, let's just say. And, uh, and he walked in and I said, uh, oh, my gosh, make me a drink. And he went, poof, you're a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, that's. And, and and you know how they say you marry, you know, men marry their mothers, women marry their fathers? Yeah. This guy, you know, my father had an incredible sense of humor to deal with everything that he was dealing with. He also was a great cook. He um, could play the mandolin and sing. And here I end up with a guy who's all of those things. So anyway, enough about him. This is about me. What's going on? <laughs> Well, behind every great woman is a great man, and vice versa, right? <laughs> that is even, true. Even a greater spouse. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when we uh, one other little last story, because this is kind of funny, because you say behind every great woman. Uh, <laughs> when we got married, uh, and we were up in front of all of our guests and giving our vows, you know, we, we wrote our own vows, and it was the whole kind of, you know, love, honor, blah, blah, blah. And something in me was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm getting married. And suddenly I blurted out, you are not the boss of me as part of my vows. And so for the first, like, wedding anniversary, he bought me a little painting that says, you are not the boss of me. So just as a reminder. So anyway, a good guy. Uh, did everybody laugh? Now, not <laughs> or did, only. Or did they gasp? <laughs> not only did everyone laugh, but all of the little girls who were in the audience ran up to me afterward and were like, oh, Aunt Paula, that was great. We love that line. That was our favorite part. So, you know, <laughs> always yeah. influencing. Yeah, I guess we, we never know what's going to come out of your mouth, I guess. No, <laughs> no very hey. true.
So let's talk about your current memoir. Do you call it a, a memoir or, or a book? Or uh, I do call it a memoir. The title is A Memoir of Madness, so explain. Yes. So the book is um, the sequel to my first book that came out in 2015 called The S Word. Um, so the first book had to do What's with... that one briefly about? Sure. So The S Word is about secrets, and it is the story of kind of how it started. So I'm 10 years old. I am uh, kind of considered la piccola mamma, the little mother helping out uh -huh. because my mom was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So that whole book is is really the frame of how, how mental illness started in our family and the secrets that we were encouraged to keep because being Sicilian, there's a there's an unwritten code of La Cosa Nostra. You know, what happens in the family stays in the family. So that's the first book. Second book, this one, Committed, it's broken into two parts. So the first part is when I get a chance to escape crazy by going away to school for a year. And when I'm away at school, as much as I try to forget about my home life, they send letters. So the book is an epistolary memoir, and it has all snippets of the actual letters that were sent to me that kept dragging me back in. The second part of the book is when I come home, and everything is cray-cray still, and I am trying to live my own life, and I'm missing the life I had in college, and then all of a sudden my father unexpectedly dies of a massive heart attack. Two years after that, my little sister explodes in a psychotic episode, and I find myself primary caregiver to both my mom and my sister uh, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And so the sequel kind of goes past what you've uh, gone through and then talks about what you're going through right now, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this This committed book, it really kind of shines a light on how at any given moment, to be honest, any one of us could become crazy. I mean, we, we all have moments in us where we don't know what to do because of some given situation. Your the, the video that you play, right, in the beginning of your program is all about this. Like, there are moments in your life where you don't know which way to turn. And if you keep it inside, it just continues to fester, right? I say, you know, silence suffocates. And that's what happened to me. I I was trying to do it, trying to look normal, quote unquote, from the outside, scared to death that I was going to, you know, catch schizophrenia. I had all these things going on. And at one point at the end, I just couldn't see a way out. And I decided that I was just going to do the world a favor, take myself out, take my sister and my mother along with me, and by divine intervention, I happen to meet someone who takes me without pay for months, she's a therapist, sees me, and i that was my salvation. Wow. So therapy is necessary. You recommend it, right? I recommend therapy with the right person, the right fit. Mm. Um, there are, as in anything, there are some folks who maybe, uh, you know, maybe they were best suited for something else. There are some folks who are great at what they do, but they're not the right person for you. It doesn't mean that therapy is, is wrong or a bad thing or you shouldn't do it. I, I wholeheartedly believe in talking to trusted mm -hmm. individuals. And if for some people that's a friend, a colleague, talk, let it out, share what's going on. The more we do that and we don't keep it hidden and shameful, the more that we can help to change this narrative about mental illness, about caregiving, about emotional wellness. Yeah, and your book has rave reviews. I mean, uh, I think one person actually said it's probably one of the best books on mental illness that they've ever read. What, what? What do you think is behind that? I mean, why is your book so much better than other books that have been written about mental illness? Uh, well, you know, first off, I thank you for saying that, and I'm super humble um, because uh, obviously it's all opinion. Um, I <laughs> would love to believe that the book is one of the best. I, I think 
um, in my opinion, and people have said this, you know, some books are preachy. Some books are, um, are okay, they are over there. They are the mentally ill ones, or they are the ones I'm talking about. I'm totally different. Um, this book is super authentic in great part because it's all told through the letters um, of others. Like they have their, their, it's their story too. It's not just mine. But also because uh, I, you know, my brother likes to say none of us, none of us in the book, in the books come out lily white. We all are flawed. Every one of us is both good, evil, um, you know, virgin, whore, predator, prey, but that's that's the human condition, right? And so I think what people are seeing in the book um, is, you know, I actually come out and say that, you know, you can hate your mother or a person with mental illness at the same time that you love them, permission, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, right. And you know, giving permission like that's it's natural to have those emotions. The more that we are afraid of them, or the more that we like stuff them down, the more we just it's like a cancer. It just grows. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back. So don't go away. One arm, one leg, one hundred words. Overcoming unbelievable hardships is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her five and 10 year old daughters, Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy, and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Devil Award recipient, the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch? Charlene just won't let the promises of God go and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. And we're back with our guest on the Caregiver Dave show, Paulina Milana. Nice Italian That was girl. a powerful story. <laughs> we all have powerful stories, don't we? Yeah. Definitely. Every single one of us. So, um, getting back to your book, um, you, I, I want to know when you began to start caregiving. I mean, was it early on uh, taking care of your mother? Because obviously there were times when she couldn't take care of herself. Right. Explain yeah. That. So, so I was maybe 10 when it kind of all started. Well, um, my, my unofficial role as, uh, like I said, my father dubbed me Piccola Mamma, which means little mother. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, you know, my mom just for so many years was either under the covers, um, you know, catatonic or a complete rage. And a lot of the things that I know she would have wanted to do as a mom, used to do as a mom, just weren't possible and and who was there to do it but me so did the best I could I remember um it was Thanksgiving one year and I I, I can't remember I think I was maybe maybe what in the eighth I mean yeah maybe in the eighth grade seventh grade somewhere I, I can't remember uh how little I was but I remember my parents went um to frequent another doctor and it was over Thanksgiving 
and we were left at home and I I was in charge of Thanksgiving dinner but I was too little to know <laughs> well I knew you bought a turkey I was too little to realize that you had to thaw it so there it was Thanksgiving and so we didn't have turkey we ended up going to like the local little kind of white hen pantry and um, got sandwiches and that was it so I oh man I'm trying to think of when that actually was it was um you weren't an honestly adult, I think I was only like 12 kid. yeah I was a kid yeah. yeah and they expected you to uh to put out Thanksgiving dinner huh well <laughs> nobody you know what nobody expected it it was you know w there were four of us four kids and my parents had to go I had two older siblings so it wasn't like we were left alone like little kids you know but but I was the one who had taken on that responsibility of kind of caregiver and you know the the, the I'm a middle child so to me it, it just it was part of who I was so nobody assigned it to me I kinda took it over I just I had to grow into it I wasn't very good at it at that age you know, um, did you even know what a caregiver was when you were doing all this stuff? No, I um, I don't think I knew official title. I knew uh, from what my father would call me, la piccola mamma, the little mother. I knew that I was um, in this role. I honestly, it was a it was a bit of a power trip, as much as. There were moments where I hated it, and I was like, well, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to take care of my little sister? Why do I have to? There were other moments where because I was getting kind of the attention, especially from yeah. my dad, that I that I kind of reveled in it. So you were, you were a parent to your siblings. You were the mother. And what needs did your mother have that you had to take care of her needs? Because your yeah. father, I assume, was busy working and stuff, and he really right. wasn't uh, present. So yeah. what were some of your mother's needs that yeah. you were specifically in charge of? Um, you know, my mom, her needs when, like, my dad was away, she always did kind of try to get up and make the dinner. Like, she would, she would try to do, like, the things that, like, in her mind, they were her responsibility. It just, it just wasn't possible with how ill she was so the more and more that she became kind of succumbed to the voices and and all of the things that were going on in her in her head the more that I took over sitting with my little sister doing homework um, actually prepping so that everybody had like lunches and doing the things that were were at my level possible um, cleaning up and things that she couldn't handle. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think in all fairness, I do want to say my mom, and when you think about it, here was a woman who did not, English was not her first language. She did not drive. She had four little kids all, you know, within two years of one another. Um, she told me when we were older, that she would take us out for walks in part because she was trying to run away from the voices telling her to kill us. Well, we didn't know that. And yet look at the look at the power she had, the force she had to not do that. Right? We see all sorts of TV news where that sure. doesn't always happen. So yeah, my mom my mom was super intelligent, super talented. My error, and I will call it an error, was I was so afraid of that mental illness that I kept my mom at bay. And in doing so, it wasn't until much later in life that I realized she wasn't just mental illness. She was so many other things, other things that we shared, right? She loved motorcycles. I had no idea. I married a guy who's a Harley guy. So <laughs> it's just, you know, a lot of things, and I, I think... I think we often put people in these buckets, right? A black and white world. Like they are this, they are that. And and that's not true. My mom was an entire spectrum. What help was she getting? I mean, what did the medical community diagnose her as? I mean, what did they do for people like her in those days? Yeah, yeah well, um, 
honestly, in those days, so we're talking the late seventies, early eighties, right? That's when it just kind of really exploded. Madhouse. No. So with my mom, they because schizophrenia is supposed to attack in your twenties, and here my mom was late forties, you know, fifty. The the medical community, the doctors, they had no, like, they didn't even look at the psychology of it. They kept thinking it was physical. So my mom went through two exploratory brain surgeries, um, and they it was almost like they were looking for something to cut out. And then finally, when... Hopefully it wasn't a lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, that has normal happened, in her right? 20s and 30s, kind of? So uh, that's a great question, you know, and, and you even said in your, um, in your piece about your own family, you know, we were a normal family, right? right. And I kind of tackle that in the book because, you know, what is normal? I mean, in, in some communities, you know, I think about that movie um, When Harry Met Sally and that scene in the diner and not not what not what you think i'm talking about but when she sexy. orders her meal <laughs> not the sexy when she orders her meal she says i'll have the peas but not the this and then i don't want this touching this right everybody thinks okay that's a little bit eccentric right but they don't think crazy so my my point is what is normal my mom grew up in sicily during World War II, um, with Mussolini, uh, Hitler, they were being bombed. Uh, her father, her brothers, they were prisoners of war. They some didn't come back. Um, they they ate maybe bread, um, maybe in a day. So her normal was not that great. And so was she normal? They say that it's possible she was hiding a lot of those symptoms. And then they just kind of mushroomed, right? Um, but who, who's, who's my, for all intents and purposes, my childhood to me, because back then I didn't know any different, I thought that was normal. I thought everybody had those kinds of things until I started to think, wait a minute, I don't think this is that normal. So anyway, it's a relative term. Yeah. So you were a communications executive for 30 plus years. How are you handling this life, this this professional uh, image? Uh, did anyone at work or your friends or uh, relatives, I mean, who knew the secret? Um, so first off, when you say 30 plus years, wow, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> so gosh, um, you know what? I... I prided myself on um, on looking like I had it all together from the outside, and I I thought I was strong enough. I thought that if I went for help, that that meant I was weak. Right? There's someone said uh, once that a strength exaggerated becomes a weakness, which is what happened to me. Nobody knew what was going on. Even uh, you know, in in this book, in committed. My um, one of one of my great bosses at the newspaper. Uh, she was a powerful woman. She was also also a mom. Um, she she had no idea. And I remember uh, she turned to me once and said, uh, "You know, Paulina, you um, I don't know what happened, but ever since your father died, you're just you know kind of a mess." But she had no idea. And only recently, having read the book, she was like, "Wow, I I had no idea. I made sure no one knew." And that's part of the problem. The more that you keep it inside, the more that you're you're just spiraling downward. And and the more that you keep that sunny face, you know, being a communications exec, being in PR, it's really important to have that outer kind of image of being powerful, of knowing what you're doing. And I was falling apart inside. Well, you pulled it off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, did you inherit this this gene? Are you a little crazy? Um, who did your mother inherit it from? Yeah. So, um, so the the mom part first. I we were told stories of uh, of my aunts, of you know grandma, like all on the female side of my mother's side, and and while we were told these 
fantastical stories. I, I remember her telling us once about our grandfather being kind of chased by phantoms because he wouldn't. And and, and when you're told this, you, you're kind of like, what? Like, you know, you don't even think about it until suddenly there's a diagnosis. And then you're like, whoa. And then there's a second diagnosis. And you're like, okay, this must be in the family tree. Do I have a mental illness? Um, I don't have a diagnosed kind of mental illness. I, when I was younger, I, the voices that were in my head, I, I worried, you know, are those normal? I have no idea, like, because of what I'm used to, right? My mom and those voices weren't normal. I think, you know, someone had just recently shared with me my mental health issues. They're not mental illness, a diagnosed mental illness, because mine um, can go away. They can end. When you have something like schizophrenia, um, bipolar, it can be treated, um, it can be maybe navigated, but it's, it is kind of never-ending. So I think there's, there's a difference there. Where does faith come into this? Because it almost sounds like your mother had demons. I mean, they're telling her to kill her children. That's evil. Um, mm. Do you have faith? Did she have faith? You know, what what kind of oh my gosh what were you grown up with? Well, Catholics probably Italian. Very Catholic. Oh my goodness, very Catholic. My my parents both had a tremendous amount of faith. As a matter of fact, in um in this book, a lot of the letters from both my mother and my father, they are calling out to God to rescue them, to help them. Right? It was me who was like, God ain't listening. Like he he he's got nothing to do with us anymore. He's abandoned us. I felt you know one of my least favorite books in the Bible is Job, and I I struggle with it to this day. And I have taken classes. I have to try and understand it. But um, but the truth of it is, you know, there are a lot of so so my faith. I know that there is some. Thing, someone, some God walking with me at every step. I, I feel it. I know it. Um, did I always know it? Uh, no. I, I really thought I was kind of uh, abandoned at some point. Um, and, and a lot of that had to do with authority figures, you know, if I may say, even in the church, who didn't, didn't use their power, so to speak, in a benevolent way, um, but more in a punitive way. And I, you know, I believe God, Jesus is love, not, you know, spanking. So. Yeah. Now, do you talk about COVID-19 in the book at all? I do not. <laughs> this, this book is, um, is set when I, like in the late 80s, through the 90s so okay. it's 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 nothing with covid but you know talking about these times you really need to have faith and mental health right now is such a such a priority and yet i don't feel like we're talking about it a lot i mean you're doing an incredible job but I feel as if we're more concerned with, okay, who's getting their stimulus check or what's going on in politics today or what instead of, you know, did you get your shot? Like instead of, hey, how's how's the psyche? How's the emotional wellness? How and I, I firmly believe leadership must, must embrace health and wellness and mental health and wellness. You can't you can't be a leader unless you embrace that. Your mother is still alive? No, my mother died um, in 2008, uh, and, you know, she was 83. Um, along with the economy. <laughs> yeah, along with the economy. And then my little sister, uh, unfortunately, she died in 2014. Uh, she was only 47. Um, that and was that was the one who also a had a mental illness? Yeah. Mm -hmm. that what was... did she die of? So... I had gotten um, I had gotten her into a group home and into her own assisted living apartment, right? Like the um, uh, the the um, the housing kind of uh, sure. thing. Absolutely. 
she just couldn't handle it on her own. And so at one point, um, we discussed it, and, and she really needed more care. So we put her in an assisted living situation, and things were okay for a while. And then she uh, kind of rebelled. We went through a bunch of different homes. Then she finally ended up in one that was pretty terrific. And one night, she was... Um, laying down and in her bed uh, eating dry roasted peanuts this is the story they told us eating dry roasted peanuts she started to choke she stood up her legs couldn't support her she fell hit her nose there was a ton of blood and she freaked out and had a massive heart attack a little fishy. <laughs> That's the official story <laughs> yeah and, and uh, you know what Look, stuff happens, and, you know, you could rail against it. You could explore it. You could ask why, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, from what I understand from your package, your wife, right, and her stroke, right, why? I mean, you could ask that question forever instead of kind of accepting, you know? Absolutely. But after a while, you just have to, you know, not cry over spilled milk and just – Accept the new normal and move on in the grief process to acceptance, which is yeah. a wonderful. And have faith. Have, have faith that faith. that's what was meant to be. God's bringing you through this, so you must have the ability to handle it. And he hasn't taken your life, so there must be other things you need to do. And my wife is, is amazing. She is such an inspiration to people because she makes us mm-hmm. all normal people look like whiners and complainers because she does <laughs> more than most normal people can. <laughs> and on that, we're going to take another break, so we will be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first, before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show with Paulina Melana, my guest. We're talking about mental illness, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia. Is there a difference between schizophrenia and paranoid schizophrenia? Um, so I don't pretend to be an expert on the different uh, types. However, uh, paranoid schizophrenia is a type that is convinced that everyone is against them, that people are coming after them. Uh, my mom had thought that we had bugged the entire house with cameras and were tracking her and taking lewd photos of her. So, And she was pretty... Um, kind of kill or be killed kind of schizophrenia, um, a bit uh, on the violent side. My younger sister, also a paranoid schizophrenic, believed in something else. She was um, more delusions of grandeur. She, you know, I tell the story of uh, she was on lockdown once and I went into the facility. They check me out. I walk in. Here's my sister kind of coming toward me all excited she hands me a book and I say what's this and she says I wrote this and when I looked down at the book it was the Holy Bible and so I said to her oh catchy title because what else are you gonna say at that point but she was much more um, again I'm you know delusions of grandeur very yeah and her paranoia kind of came into play when we didn't believe her and all the things that she had done. And so then we were just trying to keep her down. So it was a different kind of sense of it. You know, you're, you're bringing back memories of my mother-in-law who was uh, demented. 
and she was also paranoid. You know, we were trying to get her. We were trying to, uh, you know, make her go crazy and steal her house. Wow. And she just uh, wouldn't believe that it was more logical that maybe your memory is uh, failing and you can't remember where you put these things and uh, then people coming in, stealing them, and then people coming in and putting them back. And uh, she was torturing herself. And, it was, and I, it was torturing watching her torturing herself. Yes. And, uh, mm. you know, when she did finally die, I mean, I was relieved and I yeah. was happy for her. And my mother had dementia also. Mm-hmm. Wasn't as crazy as uh, as my mother-in-law. Um, she was very passive and a cute little teddy bear. Everybody loved her at the home and, and uh, she was no trouble. But mm-hmm. in the end... You know, when she would go to the hospital for things that they felt she needed to do, she got did get violent one time because she's you know, not trusting them and the paranoia. Paranoia is is a big part of mental illness, and uh, mm-hmm. I uh, I just feel so bad for you that you had to go through that because you had a whole life of it, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I only had a few years, <laughs> and I know how hard it was for me. And I can imagine. No, I can't imagine. <laughs> it, was, it was really hard. So, what are the top three things uh, that you want caregivers to take away from your experiences in your book, uh, your interview? I don't know how many caregivers out there have to be a caregiver to a mentally ill person. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are, but it's got to be at least ten percent, maybe twenty. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I to be honest, I, I should look up those statistics. I I don't know either. Um, I do know that every time I share my story, somebody comes out of the woodwork and is like, "Oh my God, me too." So there's a lot of people. Um, what I a lot of dementia say, dementia stories, and they're very similar to mental illness because let's face it, if you lose your memory and you don't know who you're talking to or, or think you're talking to your dead husband or whatever, they're acting like they're mentally ill and it's all in the brain anyway so it's very very similar so a lot of people who are uh, watching alzheimer's uh, patients can can relate yeah and it's so hard to watch that to be the caregiver and watch someone that you love who's like just deteriorating and they're no longer there right that person's no longer there so when you ask me you know the, the the top three things or so that i'd want people to take away i'd say the first thing is, you know what? Yes, you're a caregiver, but just like what your piece said, mm. put on your oxygen mask before you put on someone else's. Because if you are not whole, if you are not at capacity in terms of you know your power, you're not only not going to be good for someone else you're you're just not even going to make the right decisions for yourself it just it's a snowball effect so number one make yourself the priority um self-care is 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 incredibly key to taking care of others so don't view it as selfish second thing i would say just because you're someone's caregiver um doesn't mean that that's the only aspect of your relationship. It doesn't mean that that person is only that reason you're caring for them. If someone is said to have a disability, it's a disability in one thing, not a disability in everything about them. So embrace that they have multiple parts to them just as you do and know that you yourself, there but for the grace of God go I, if your circumstances change, you too may find yourself in need of care, and don't be don't be shy to ask for it. You know, yeah. that's what I would say. Done to take Very care of yourself. How did you do it? How did you keep from burning out? How did you put your oxygen mask on first? Uh, well, I <laughs> I didn't in the beginning. I I failed at that, Dave. Um, in the beginning, had it um, not been for divine intervention, uh, someone. On the very night that I was going to take myself out, I think I alluded to this, I wrote about it. Um, suicidal. Suicidal. Someone noticed. Someone uh, took me, and fortunately, I didn't fight it. I went. Um, so I think that initial kind of being able to spill it, 
spill the secrets to someone who I didn't know, I didn't care about, they didn't know me, and I could just get it out and be done. Um, that was the start of my kind of journey to self-care. Now, ever since then, I have done a lot of things in terms of self-care. One, obviously I mentioned that the weight issue. Um, I have made it a point to continue, and this is something I did ever since I was little, to continue to write in journals. There is something super powerful and healing about writing in journals, writing your story down, even if nobody sees it. Um, sure. Actually getting that out of you is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um when what goals do you have for the book i mean what is the book for the mentally ill is it for the caregiver uh mm -hmm. what do you hope that your book will accomplish so i hope that my book number one really gives a voice to the people who are no longer here and who are part of the story, right? My mom, my sister, my dad, um, there's a character, Mr. Austin, in the book. So many people who um, were part of the fabric of my life, and I, I hope the book gives them uh, an opportunity to tell their story. I think, bigger picture, um, I hope this book actually lets everyone know whether you have a diagnosed mental illness, whether you're caring for someone with a, a mental illness, or whether you're not touched at all. I hope it really gives an authentic view from all perspectives on what it is like to have a mental illness, what it is like to care, to be a caregiver, and, and what happens if you ignore yourself. And that at any moment, you know, I, I love to think that Everything that happened to me, everything that happens to anyone, it influences your life. It influences what you do. But the beauty of it is you have the power to decide how it influences you. You can let it stop you. You can let it influence you in a negative way, or you can use it to, to elevate where you go, right? And that's what I'm hoping to do. Use everything that has made me me to maybe kind of help others who maybe can't see their way out, and maybe they'll see themselves in some of the pages that I've written. How hard was it for you to write this book? <laughs> so, um, A, I have kept journals forever, and then all the letters, right? So those things, like getting at the actual what happened in the moment, that was easy. Dealing with what happened in the moment, um, dealing with how I reacted, me in the moment, the decisions that were made, um, the thoughts, now coming at it from this age, this perspective, this wisdom, it was a challenge because there is a propensity when you write memoir to look back and judge the person you were then, right? Everything that went. And my Angelou has a quote, you know, we did what we knew how to do then. We know better now, so we'll do better now. And mm -hmm. what what I needed to do was all that material approach it from the seat of where I was back then. Are you are you a book writing coach it, now? Yes. <laughs> Yes. As a matter of fact, yes. I there are so many people who have great stories and they they just they don't know how to get started. They you need someone that you can trust to help oh. you go through that. So I do help people tell take the stories of their lives, the lessons of their life as a bigger so yes. And many caregivers, if not all of them, have a great story to tell, right? They do, yeah. Yeah. Everybody has a great story. Yeah. Well, it's and great that so many of them are telling them on with you. So you know, you're you're really you are really doing a great service to not only the caregivers out there, but everyone else who who is fortunate to know about your program. So um, I'm I'm done with my questions. What what haven't <laughs> I asked you that you would like to uh, share with the audience? Hmm. I would love to share with the audience 
you know, I, I would encourage them to pick up the book, read it, um, you know, hopefully give an honest review if you can on Amazon, but I, I would encourage them to look around what's happening. Look at, look at their circumstances. Know that they are not their circumstances. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I do in my um, resilient and empowerment coaching for folks is we take a look at ourselves just as if we're a character in a TV show or a movie show. Like, you know, when you're watching a show and the character, oh, my God, they're getting into trouble and there's a cliffhanger at the end and, and you, you wait because you know they're going to kind of figure it out. Start approaching yourself with with that kind of a mindset that you will kind of figure it out, right? Because you're the one who's holding the pen. You can write the next chapters of your life, right? You can reimagine what came before. So yeah. that's what I would have to say. That's good. So <laughs> how do we get a hold of the book and maybe a hold of you? If maybe somebody has some questions or wants some coaching on how to write their own book. Absolutely. So um, my website is madness2magic.com. And so that's madness2magic.com. You can go there. You can um, you can actually get a whole bunch of free kind of downloads um, from the site. You can find out about the coaching and the book. You can get the book anywhere um, that books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Indie Books, uh, but I, I welcome it, and, and you are welcome to email me at powerlina at madness2magic.com. I, I love hearing from people. <laughs> hey, it's been a great uh, experience having you on the show, and uh, it's hard to believe the hour is gone so quickly. Wow. It always does. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for being on the show, and to everybody out there listening, thank you so much for coming in uh, week after week. And again, you can watch this show on our website, caregiverdave.com, and all the other platforms above, YouTube, iTunes, uh, they're all over the place. So thank you again, and we will <laughs> see you, you all next time. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 